I want to really thank the uh, lead pastoral team here at City. I've been away on vacation, and it's been just awesome to see how the team functions and serves even while I'm away. And, uh, but man, is it good back to be back to Charlottesville. I uh, feel, I know, right? I mean, I go away, and I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to get home. And I always feel kind of sad for people that when they think about going home from vacation, that they are really unhappy about where they're going home to. Don't you feel incredibly blessed to live in Charlottesville, don't you? I mean, for real, do you feel? I know that I do. And with that said, there's a couple here at City who have served diligently for a long, long time. And I would say that they've heard from the enemy of their soul that it's time to move, but that's not the right thing to say. I just don't want them to leave. You can't blame everything on the enemy, right? Um, but Andy and Jessica Gregory, I want you to stand. I want you guys to come on up here. Make it quick. There we go. Jessica, you cannot hide behind Callie and other people's artwork. You need to get up here. Jessica and Andy have served so faithfully at City Church. And Andy knows about this. There was a very difficult season that I went through as the lead pastor. And he's been on the board. And what we do at City, just so you know, is that we feel it's very key that every generation have a voice. So on City Church board, we have a 20-something, 30-something, 40, 50, and 60. We make sure we do that because there's different paradigms in our culture that drive culture, and each one of those generations needs a voice. Andy was our 20-something, and then he kept getting older, and he became the 30-something. And then I assumed he'd become the 40-something, but then again, he heard from the adversary of our soul that he and Jessica were supposed to leave and go back to Minnesota where they're from. But um, I think the Bible's clear that you give honor where honor's due. And behind the scenes, they have worked tirelessly. Um, I know that when people sit in leadership, that their husband or their wife, their spouse, is as much of part of that as they are, even though they don't sit in uh, physically on the meetings, that they journey together throughout that service. And so I want to just publicly thank Andy and Jessica. They're going to be exiting um, and moving back to Minnesota, but uh, just so thankful for them. And let's give them a hand as they're seated. God bless you guys. God bless you, man. Love you. Thank you. Sometimes when people leave your church, you feel like your kids are leaving. It's a bummer. But anyway, I pray that they'll find a church way better than City Church wherever they go. Now, what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk about follow Jesus, be fruitful, and multiply. Follow Jesus, be fruitful, and multiply. Now, as we move in that direction, it's important for you to know that City Church has a very simple vision statement. It's follow Jesus, serve others. But as I was praying about this morning and thinking about this morning, I had that whole week off in order to really think and pray about it. I felt like God was impressing again something on my heart that I want to challenge the City Church family with. Maybe you're just visiting this morning, but I would trust that you'd be open in your heart to say maybe God is going to be speaking to me personally. Callie, in her worship set this morning, picked a song that was written by Keith Green. When I first became a follower of Jesus, it was the end of what was called the Jesus Movement. It was in the mid to late 1970s, and God was moving dramatically among the hippie culture. I was not a hippie. Being blunt, hippies were everything my German father despised. Everything about them he could not stand. But with that said, God had a sense of humor, and when our family went from being completely unchurched 
to where we began to follow Jesus, we ended up in a church full of hippies, <laughs> full of them. And I think at times God, through His love, confronts us in our prejudices. We can't run from them. He loves us too much, and He loves His people too much. And so we ended up being a part of this church. Well, Keith Green was probably the most famous musician and the most famous song or worship song writer of that season. Again, it was Keith Green. And so I remember just as a young boy, I went to a concert where Keith Green was leading in worship, and there were tons of different Christian artists that were there, and they were performing and leading us. And Keith Green got up front, and I'll never forget, he had an afro that stuck out to here. Again, it was just awesome. My dad made me wear a shaved head, so I was always jealous of anyone that had hair more than an inch long. And he was up there leading in worship, and he would put his head down, and his afro would roll down into the keys and then roll back again, and it just looked like God was with him in the midst of all that. But he wrote this song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, and a bunch of other songs, and so we were worshiping, and it was just incredible. It was the transition of what we would know now as the modern church, kind of not away from the hymn culture, but they were adding to hymns, and a lot of times the worship literally was Leonard Skinner with Christian words. Literally, I used to sit through church. How many of you were involved at that time? Do you remember that? I mean, I heard Sweet Home Alabama sung to Christian lyrics. I thought it was incredible. I absolutely loved it. But Keith Green shows up along with his contemporaries, and they start to write true Christian worship songs kind of from the ground up. It was a powerful time in the church in the United States of America. One of the things, though, at this concert, I'll never forget this, Keith Green stood up at this concert, and he challenged every one of us to be a foreign missionary. I was like 10 years old. And he got up front, and he said, I don't care how old you are, the Bible says you're to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And he said, you need a reason to stay, not a reason to go. My reason to stay was that I was 10 years old. That worked. Figured I'm going to stay, I'm 10. But listen, the Holy Spirit did something unique in the 70s, where literally thousands of people, by the moving of the Holy Spirit, began to feel the call of God to go into countries where the gospel was closed. There was no freedom to be part of the church, and people began to literally fan out all over the globe and began to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he was dead, buried, and resurrected, and he can transform your life. That was happening all over. That was many, many years ago. And then about 27 years ago, I was serving as a campus pastor at Princeton University. There was a guy that called me up, and he said, I would like to sit down and speak with you. And I said, sure. So we met, and I sat down with this guy, and he began to tell a story. And his story, to me, was so, it resonated with the same working of the Holy Spirit that had happened when I was 10. This Princeton alum, we're going to call him Joseph C. Joseph came in and sat down in my office, and he began to talk about what had happened to him as a Princeton student about six years earlier that he and some other students had decided as freshmen at Princeton to surrender their lives completely to God. They had no clue what that would look like. All of them had come from wealthy, powerful, aristocratic families. But in coming to Princeton, they had decided to be serious about their faith. And it wasn't long before the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and began to transform their lives. And in their sophomore year, all of them, there were six of them, they actually changed all of their coursework so that now they were studying things that had to do with Islam. Then what they did was they went into the basement of Firestone Library and they found the least Christian, least evangelized country and the poorest country in the world. That was their standard for where they were going to go. And a year after they all graduated from Princeton, they lived in community in Princeton for a year. And then they exited, and they went to this undisclosed country, and they began to serve and follow Jesus and serve the Bedouins that were going back and forth across the Sahara Desert.
That was shocking to me. I remembered sitting in my office and looking at Joe and just thinking, here's a guy that the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of. I don't mean to beef him up, but the guy speaks 13 languages fluently. He's literally probably the highest IQ'd people that I've ever, person that I've ever met, or at least that I knew how smart they were. And so what they did was they literally moved into this undisclosed Muslim country and they lived among the people. They started an NGO that fed 10,000 mothers and pregnant mothers and babies a month. That same famine is still in that country today, 27 years later. He raised his kids there. The people that moved from Princeton to there raised their children there. And when Joseph came into my office and sat down, he kind of shared the story. And I don't know how you are, but have you ever been around certain Christians that are so dedicated to Christ, you think, I don't really want to sit in the same room with them. You know, I feel like a complete lost heathen. You ever feel like that? That's how I felt when I was sitting there with Joseph. I said, well, what, we can, what can we do? He said, the truth of it is, Pete, just pray with us that God would just keep us safe. That's it. Just please pray for that. And so we did. Before he left, I said, you know, Joe, why did you do this? And he said, well, let me show you in the Bible. And in his genius fashion, he started in the book of Genesis. And he led me through some of what I'm going to lead us through this morning. I've added to it over the years because I found other verses that completely affirmed and confirmed what Joseph was saying as we sat there and we had about a three-minute devotional where he just grabbed a Bible, opened it up, and began to walk me through why he had decided to move to a foreign land and to risk his life and the life of his wife and then those future children. He had twins that were raised in this country with him. So he began here. So I'm going to ask that you would do this with me, that you would take out your smartphone, your iPad, or your Bible, and you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 28. Where we're getting ready to read is the first thing that God ever said to humankind. A lot of times people will say, well, I thought it was that man should not live alone. It's not. This is the first command that was ever given to the human race. We pick it up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And here's what God says about Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. But I want you to notice, here's the command. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. That was the command that God gave to Adam and to Eve. And then as you begin to move through the Newer Testament and I'll never, or the Older Testament, I will never forget Joseph sitting in my office and skillfully thumbing through the Older Testament and saying, here it is again. And so we're going to pick it up again now in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. And in Genesis chapter 8, you move from the original creation story to now where the flood has come in, and God's judgment has rested on the earth, and he, as he always does, he raises up by his grace a person that retains life. This guy's name was Noah. And when we pick up that story, post-flood story, we find here in the Scriptures where God comes to Noah in Genesis 8, 17, and here's what he says to Noah. Then God said to Noah, come out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out all of the living things, and reading on, and it says, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. And then you drop down to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, here's what God says. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, 
be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The same command that God gave to Adam, God now gives to Noah. It's the same command. And so as Noah is exiting the ark, that's what God speaks to him and he repeats himself again in Genesis chapter 9 verse 7. Here's what God says, as for you be fruitful and increase in number, multiply in the earth and increase upon it. And so God gives a very clear dictate to his people that they are to increase and to spread out over all the earth. And then in verse 8 of chapter 9, then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then as you process through the book of Genesis, you pick up the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Turn there with me quickly if you would. Here's the story of the Tower of Babel, so picture this. This is the next account after the flood. Genesis 11.1, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. In the original Hebrew, it's clear that they're in complete rebellion from God. And here's what they say next. Otherwise, we will be, and what's the next word? Scattered over the face of the whole earth. They know the command of God. God has told them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But out of the rebelliousness of their hearts, they say, oh no, we're not going to do that. We're going to build a city, and it's going to reach up to the heavens. This is man sticking his fist in the face of God. And in building this city, they say to each other, the reason why we're going to do this is we're going to make a name for ourselves, not for God. But they know God's command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. But instead, they say, we're going to build this city, otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Remember that, the word scattered. We're going to pick that up again in the Newer Testament in just a few moments. And so when you know the story, if you've ever read it, God confuses them with language to where they can no longer understand each other. And because of that, this great city ceases to be built. And we pick it up now in verse number 8. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face the whole earth. So here God is moving humankind through his original command. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Don't stay there. Move, get out there, and expand. The next event that you pick up is a guy named Abram. He is Abraham. He becomes Father Abraham, the father of Israel. He's the one that everyone with Jewish faith looks to. And you may have sung the children's song, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. And so we pick up the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. In other words, Abram, get up and go. Get out of here. Go. And then God says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And then we pick up the story of Abraham again in chapter 17 of Genesis. And in chapter 17, Abram, who becomes Abraham, is 99 years old. God appears to him and essentially says, look, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And through that covenant, you will be the father of many nations. Verse 3, it says, no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. Genesis 17, verse 6, I will make you very fruitful 
and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And so as you read on, you begin to discover that God continually repeats this theme about be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Then we pick it up again in Genesis chapter 28. And here we find that Abraham's son Isaac calls his son Jacob. So now we're talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Every Jewish person will tell you about that. The God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in Genesis 28.1, we pick it up again. And it says, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. He tells him where to go to find a wife. And then in verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase in numbers until you become a community of people. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you may now reside, you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So what happens here is Abraham receives the command, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's now passed down to Isaac. And Isaac now passes that same command to Jacob, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. And the last time we see this is Genesis 35. And in Genesis 35, picking it up in verse 10, God comes to Jacob, and he changes his name to Israel. It says, God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I also give to you, and will give this land to your descendants after you. So what do you recognize, along with me, that is so amazing about the God of the Older Testament? Here's what he says. Be fruitful, multiply, and what? Fill the earth. Can we say it together? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. That is the command that God gave to Adam, to Eve, to Noah, and he just traces that throughout the entire Older Testament. The rest of the Older Testament is about what it looks like when Israel becomes a nation that is fruitful and multiplies and fills the earth. Then we pick up the Newer Testament. And as we pick up the Newer Testament, we pick up the story of Jesus in transfigured state, in resurrected form, and he comes to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And in Acts chapter 1, the Bible says that his disciples are gathered around him. Jesus is ready to ascend into heaven. He's in resurrected body. And he gathers his disciples around him, and they ask him this question. Are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to kick out the Romans? Are you going to dominate all our military enemies, and will you become that King David that will reestablish the nation of Israel? And here's what Jesus says to them. It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Jesus brings his last command, and it replicates the original command given to Adam and to Eve and to all of humankind. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. 
And so what we have is these disciples are huddled around Jesus. They're in Jerusalem. And he essentially tells them, listen, the day of Pentecost will happen when the Holy Spirit touches your life. You are going to begin to move. And I want you to get out of here. And I want you to go from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria. That would have been a problem. Because Jews in Jerusalem hated Samaritans. Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles. They had become inbred religiously and culturally with people outside of the Jewish faith. And there was this massive prejudice. And here Jesus puts that in his command. Start in Jerusalem. Go to Judea. And then go to Samaria. And then go to the ends of the earth and share this gospel. And tell the story of who I am. Then as you know the story, the Holy Spirit falls. And on the day of Pentecost, the disciples step out into the streets of Jerusalem. They begin to preach the gospel of a resurrected Christ. And Peter stands up and he announces to anyone who would listen, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. And it's through him that we are literally saved from our sin. We are saved from our very selves. Thousands of people joined the church on that day, and they say yes to follow Jesus. But you know what's amazing is it's apparent in the, in the book of Acts that no one leaves Jerusalem. They all stayed hunkered down, and even though Jesus told them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, start in Jerusalem, but go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the earth, no one is moving. They've hunkered down. And then we pick up Acts chapter 8, verse 1. You're going to see a familiar word here. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, The church persecuted and scattered. It's the same word that we picked up when we saw the Tower of Babel, when humankind put their fist in the face of God and said, We will not move. We're going to stay here. Here's where we like it. Here's where we're comfortable. And I'm going to make a name for me. What ends up happening is a massive persecution breaks out against the first century church. And can I say this very straightforwardly? It's exactly the same then as it is now, and we sense it's getting worse in the world in which we live. Christianity was born into a violently hostile world to the faith of Jesus. And many of us are very concerned about the future. We had a prayer vigil over at City Church Central and people gathered together to pray. But what I want to tell you is, be very, very wise. Here's why. The gospel was born into a culture where Christians were being literally crucified. That's the seedbed of the gospel. And so what ends up happening is all these people are in Jerusalem. They're not moving. And in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church. Where? In Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. Where? Through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. He'd just been stoned to death, and they mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off, he, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria. What we see happening in the gospel, in the book of Acts, is that as the church is persecuted, now they leave Jerusalem, and as they leave, they're preaching the gospel. But what we can kind of understand is that they're only preaching to Jews. And then last, but definitely not least, we pick up Acts chapter 11. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. 
Why? They're prejudiced. They hate Gentiles. They can't stand Samaritans. And it says this, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. They began to reach Gentiles with the gospel, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see, what you can see from Genesis all the way to the Newer Testament is that God has a plan for His people. And the plan is this. The plan is that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Someone recently asked me, they said, what's the greatest response of the Christian to what's happening in our world? And here's what the greatest response is. We ought to pray and say, God, do you want me to go to places where the gospel has never been preached? Are you calling me to go and to serve? What amazed me was after Joseph met with me in my office, I began to notice something happening in the church. Hadn't noticed it before. This was 28 years ago. There was a move of the Spirit where people, and a lot of them professionals, began to figure out ways how they could use their profession to move to countries where the church really didn't have a foothold, even into some countries where it was illegal to preach Jesus. You go to prison, and it was the death penalty if people were to convert to Christ. And these people began to look at their careers and saying, how can I serve Jesus? And so I knew of individuals who were engineers that said, I'm going to move to Muslim countries, and I'm going to work professionally, and that'll open the door and they began to move into countries. Others moved into environments that were less hostile, but no less evangelized with the gospel. And people began to fan out. This was about 28, 27 years ago. They began to fan out all over the globe using their profession to serve God. And many also went as what we would know as traditional missionaries. But here's what the Lord put in my heart about six months ago. I felt like God put it in my heart that this is going to begin to happen again. That there are people who love Jesus, but they have never considered leaving their Jerusalem. They've never thought about what would it look like for us to follow Jesus and to serve others and to serve others who don't know of who Christ is and don't have good access to who Jesus is. What would that look like? And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, maybe this is something that God would have for me. Maybe you've never considered it before. But this is the first time as a Christ follower, as a follower of Jesus who knows you're called to serve others, maybe this is the first time ever you would sit here in God's presence and say, God, maybe you're calling me. Maybe it's time that I would look at my Jerusalem and look at Judea and look at Samaria and look at the ends of the earth and say, okay, Jesus, is there a place where you would call me to serve? And six months ago, I felt like God impressed on my heart that by His Spirit, He was going to begin doing a new work in the Church of America, but as I serve as the lead pastor of City Church, that it would happen here as well. That some of us, no matter what stage in life, you would look at yourself and you would say, maybe Jesus is calling me. Maybe Christ is calling me. We're going to conclude our time this morning by having two couples from City who have surrendered to this move of God. And what I want to say to you is this. It's not greater. It's not that you're bigger before God or God will love you more if you end up traveling to foreign soil where the gospel has not been preached. That's not how this works. 
It doesn't make you more spiritual. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you a lesser follower of Jesus. If you were to pray this through and say, you know what, I'm convinced that God has called me right where I am and I don't need to go. But for others of us, maybe it's going to mean for you and maybe for me that Christ would tap us and say, you know what, for you, it's the end of the earth. It's the end of the earth. It's time to prepare yourself and to prayerfully begin to follow me. These two couples that are a part of City Church are Ben and Jess Lewis and Mike and Lorencia Panton. And I'm going to ask that they would join me on stage very quickly. Come on up here, guys. Stand right here. Jess. Michael, give me five. Thank you. So these two couples have since God called them from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And some of us sitting there are going, thank you, Jesus. They've responded to the call because maybe God's hoarse now and he can't keep calling. He's run out of callings and they've absorbed it all. Warning number one, as a church, we are going to prayerfully and financially send these couples to do what God's called them to do. I promise you, we have the resources in City Church to do this. We do. So, you might be thinking, well, I've prayed about this before. Or you might be sitting there and saying what I said when Keith Green first challenged us. You might be saying, but I'm nine years old, so I can't go. But here's what you can do. You can pray, and you can give financially to those who are called to go. Does that make sense? And so what I'm going to ask is that first that Ben and Jess, that you would just quickly recap for us, because you've done this before, about the call of God in your lives to leave Jerusalem and to go to the ends of the earth. So if we could put up the uh, slide that has Ben and Jess for a moment, and Jess, take it away. Sure. Um, the Lord called Ben and I both to the ends of the earth, and specifically to Latin America when we were teenagers. Um, neither of us really thought we were going to get married until we met one another and realized we had the same call in our lives and realized that we were better together than individually, and we also fell in love. Um, but we feel Good job, Ben. Way <laughs> yeah. to go. But we feel really strongly um, and have for about two years that the Lord is calling us specifically to Cusco, Peru. Um, there's a clinic there where the gospel is being shared with patients and also with medical students who are unbelievers. Um, so there's two medical schools in Cusco, and right now there are about 25 students, medical students, who have come to the Lord from seeing Christian doctors share the gospel and pray with their patients. Um, and so really our heart and our vision is to raise up young Peruvian medical students, um, teach them to be Christian doctors, and then release them to Peru, to South America, and to the ends of the earth. And there actually is a movement in South America to send Latin Americans to the 1040 window because those countries are a lot more open to Latinos than to people from the United States. Can you States. explain what the 1040 window is? Uh, the 1040 window is the missions term, but basically it's the part of the world in between 10 degrees and 40 degrees latitude, um, mostly the Middle East and parts of Asia where there are very, very few believers and where most of those countries are very closed to the, to the gospel and where Christianity is illegal. Um, and so a lot of those countries you can get in as a medical professional and you can't get in any other way. Um, and so we're really hoping and feel the Lord's inviting us to be a part of that movement, and we're really, really excited about it. One of the other reasons why that movement's being based out of that area is because the people groups that they're going to be reaching through this clinic look similar to the people that live in the Middle East. And so they're able to go in there and practice medicine and move because of their skin tone and their hair color. Does that make sense? Everyone, Ben, do you want to add anything? Just to add on to that piece, um, with regards to the medical ministry, I'll be doing that full-time, and uh, we'll be there as part of a, 
uh, kind of well-established outpatient practice, but the, to, to kind of cast the vision of what, why we're doing that is we've talked a lot about social justice in the past few weeks and heard a lot about it in the media, here in, in different churches across the United States, and this ministry is existing to reach those that society, our worldly kingdoms, have um, discriminated against. And so I, we're, I'm going there to uh, serve, serve people that don't have the same access to medical care as the um, upper class do, just like, it, just like similarly we see in the United States. And so um, just to really um, share that vision, it's not it, a, big, a big, big, big piece of what we're doing as student ministry, but we're also um, trying to be the literal hands and feet of Christ to uh, people that don't have access to health care. And so that's a big piece of it. So by the way, Ben's a pediatrician, in case you didn't know. Let's give them a hand. Don't go anywhere. All right, this is Mike Lorencia. Everyone say hi, Mike and Lorencia. So Mike, um, let her answer these questions first, ladies first. So Lorencia, say hi to everyone. Hi. How long have you been married? Like a month and some change, almost two months. <laughs> How did you guys meet? Um, at, on a missions trip at, with UVA Chi Alpha. So you're both students at UVA? Yeah, we were. We graduated. You graduated, and you were on a trip where? We were in West Virginia just helping um, them establish a Chi Alpha. They were starting one up. That was like three years ago-ish. Here you can have that. There you go. So you left... Jerusalem, which is Charlottesville, and you went to West Virginia, which is Samaria. Is that what we're saying? And you shared the gospel with those people. Indeed. You did? Yes. All right, good deal. So can you share a little bit about what you were involved with? And if we could put their slide up, if we could put the slide up that has the pantons on there, that would be great. So if you could go ahead and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was actually just in Indonesia, Jogjakarta is the city, and what it's doing there, they actually have a Chi Alpha established there um, about for the last five years, and um, so they're brokering that in an English center to reach the students in the city of about one million, and out of those one million, about 300,000 college students. So it's very much a transient city of a lot of students from all over the country come to the city to study, and so we have a Chi Alpha campus ministry just kind of rooted in that city to reach out. And we have a few focus um, universities, and so we do that through a few different programs, just, and just hanging out. It's very relational. Every day is, is different. So can you talk about sort of the religious makeup of that country? Yeah, so Indonesia as a whole is about 87% Islam, I, be I believe, and um, so and then the other half of that, there's some Christian and there's some Catholicism, which is very based in tradition, um, so not very relational. Like, I, I would kind of compare it to a lot of Europe where it's tradition, not a relationship with Jesus. So um, that's kind of the makeup there. Jokja is very similar to that. They have Islamic universities, you know. It's, but at the same time, it's very different than maybe when you think of Islam because Islam is not the foundation of, Indonesian culture. They started with like animism and like Buddhism, Hinduism, and so Islam is like on top of it all, so it's kind of confusing, especially <laughs> a lot of the Middle East um, like Muslims would probably denounce Indonesian Muslims because of their faith is kind of mixed, and because of that, they're also more open, I think, and uh, you know, so a lot of them are not very strict to their religion. There's a lot of what they call, you know, katepe, which means like their religion is on their license. So they just, they're what they are by name, not by faith, which is really a great opportunity to reach out to them and really introduce them to us who are obviously living a real faith, not just by name, which is, impresses a lot of people because their view of Christians is not so high. So Lorenzi, can you share what you guys are going to be doing next and when? Yeah, so our now goal... Now that you've been married so long? <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, so our goal is to um, leave and go in January. So we're in the application process. 
now, and then we'll start raising support um, so we can go. When we're there, we'll be meeting up with students regularly, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us to, like, kind of key um, students to really pour into, and as well as helping out with the ministry there um, and then doing outreach. Very good. And by the way, one of the things that they shared with me when we met is that Michael's height is an evangelism tool <laughs> where they live. Because they're all every, very short. They're all very, so I've seen pictures of Michael with some of the university students that he's serving, and he's literally about three feet taller than all of them. And so uh, you might end up being maybe, what, the Michael Jordan of yeah. Indonesia someday or something oh, like that. Yes, very good. How many of you would be willing to prayerfully support these two couples? Would you be willing to do that? What I would like for you to do now is I'm going to ask that you would stand with me as we move towards our time for closing. And as we stand together, we're going to link up up front. The worship team is going to return. These four individuals have sensed the call of God to leave Jerusalem and to go to the ends of the earth. I believe this is just the beginning of an incredible move of God. I really do. And so as we are linked up up front, if you're with your spouse here in this auditorium, I'm going to ask that you would take their hand while we move towards God in prayer. The original command given to man was be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Jesus commanded his disciples to leave Jerusalem, go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's interesting to note that the Tower of Babel was scattered. It's the same word that's used in the book of Acts. They were scattered. Wherever they were scattered to, they preached the gospel of Jesus. I would rather go on my own accord than be scattered. But God has a heart for all peoples. Americans are no love no more nor no less than any other nation or people group on God's earth. God's looking for people who would exit Jerusalem, whatever your Jerusalem is. You would be willing to go to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. As we pray together, would you leave your heart open? Would you ask the Holy Spirit if this is what he's speaking to you? Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you now with open hearts and empty hands. Lord, first of all, we pray over the Pantons and the Lewises that as they take these huge leaps of faith to follow you and to serve others in the ends of the earth, that you will go with them that you will provide for them, that you will give them opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus. Lord, now also we, resend, we surrender ourselves as their home church family. We surrender ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, and we ask what part will we play in their lives and in their service as they follow you. Jesus, speak to us about that that we are to be people who pray, but we're also to be people that give financially so that they can go and do what you're calling them to do. Jesus, our hearts are open. Speak to us. Then now we also open up our hearts to you about our individual lives. Lord, are you calling us to go? That what it would look like for us to follow Jesus and to serve others would mean to exit our Jerusalem, our Charlottesville, that we would follow you to wherever it is you would guide and direct us to go. Holy Spirit, speak to us. I pray over the entire City Church family, anyone among us who calls City Church our home, I pray over us that we would be fruitful, that we would multiply, and that we would fill the earth and that we would, out of love for you, fulfill that incredible command. We would do it in the power of the Holy Spirit with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you that we're blessed enough to be used in your kingdom.
that you call us and that you use us as people to share your gospel. Lord, touch our hearts. Keep our hearts open. We believe for this in Jesus' name, that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. As we continue with our eyes closed and our hearts open, I'm going to ask that the Lewises and the Pantons would head out to the foyer and kind of position themselves by the welcome station so that as people exit, you guys can stop and greet them. Go ahead and go, guys, and you can head out into the foyer. At this time, I'm going to ask that the prayer team of City to come forward, that you would come forward to be ready to pray with people and to pray for people. I don't want you to exit this auditorium with a burden or a need that you would like to have someone pray with you and pray for you. We have people that are here that feel called to pray and to ask God to meet the needs of your life. But I also believe that there are some of us that the reason why you'll come forward this morning is because you believe God is speaking to your heart about serving to the ends of the earth. And if you sense the Holy Spirit is wrestling with your spirit, I want to encourage you to come forward and to be prayed with and to be prayed for. That God would begin to direct your steps and that he would clearly begin to show you where is your Samaria, where's your end of the earth that you're called to serve. We're going to conclude with worship. And so I'm going to ask that Callie would lead us and I'll come back and give us a blessing in just a moment. But can we, for the next few moments, be open and sensitive to the working of the Holy Spirit? Let's worship together.
now may the Lord bless us. May the Lord keep us. May he cause his face to shine upon us. May he give us peace. May he also speak to us by his spirit. And may we be a people who are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In Jesus' name, in Christ's name, amen. You can stay and worship or slip out quietly. God bless you.
Make his praise glorious. Make his praise.